Blake Thompson to sit down, listen to the ovation for Clay. Clay moving his arms, trying to get the crowd to make even more noise. This is the Golden State Warriors podcast. And now your host, the voice of the Warriors, at Warriors Vox, Tim Roy. The Warrior Podcast is back. I'm Tim Roy. Glad to have you with us for yet again another edition. Clay Day has come and gone. Clay Thompson made his long-awaited appearance. So happy for him. He's worked so hard. He's gone through so much. 941 days. 941 days. Think about that. Think about something you love to do, something that you love to do more than anything else, and you couldn't do it for 941 days. And maybe you had to do a whole bunch of menial tasks to to get yourself ready to get back to that. Uh, it's, it's just incredible. And it was a special night. It's a night I'll always remember. I was thrilled to be there and just to be a small part of it. And, um, boy, just uh, just a pleasure. But I, I have to tell you, uh, when he was introduced to the starting lineups, uh, goosebumps were plenty in in the on yours truly, and so it was uh, a moment that uh, I think got to everybody because uh, everybody loves Clay, and and I'm so happy for him that he's back and doing what he loves. The NBA's better with Clay Thompson in it. That's just plain and simple, and the Warriors are better with Clay Thompson on the roster. So the Warriors podcast, we are going to talk about Clay Thompson. Mark Medina of NBA.com will stop by, former beat writer with Mercury News. He's going to come on by and chat with us about that in a moment. Golden State right in the middle of this stretch where they're playing six of seven games on the road. If you extend that out, seven of nine. So they're getting their road legs here. But when they come back, a seven-game homestand. Fifteen of their 41 home games this year are on two homestands. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how they do on the road. There's a back-to-back on this four-game set in Milwaukee and Chicago, and then there's a back-to-back on the seven-game homestand. And the reason I say that, you have veterans like Porter and Iguodala who aren't playing both ends of the back-to-back. Draymond might get a night off or so in there. Steph might get a night off or so in there. Because right now the only concern is big picture. Big picture, long term. And the Warriors have earned that right with their start, and I think that a win in January is not as important as a win in May at this point. Stay tuned for that. I think it's just all part of the strategy and, and what the Warriors will have to do during this stretch. But I wouldn't be alarmed if that, that happens in the next 11 games or so. It's just all part of the plan. And for veteran Warrior watchers and listeners, you know that. You've been through that uh, before. So we're going to hear from Mark Medina. and Later on, we'll take a look at the great career of Nate Thurman. So let's get started with Mark Medina, and we're going to start talking about what else? Clay Day. Well, Mark, I know that we're both kind of uh, soaking it all in, if you will, the the Clay Day, and uh, seeing him back. I, I don't think there's anybody on the planet that doesn't like Clay Thompson, and uh, just to see him get his due after what had to be a very lonely two years, that was just it was just a special night. It's one of the nights that when when you know I, I sit in front of a fire and I'm retired and maybe watching the waves come in somewhere, whatever. Uh, that's that's one of the nights I'll I'll think about. Without a doubt, and when you talk to the Warriors, they feel the same way. I mean, Warriors coach Steve Kerr was saying this is a game that he's going to remember for the rest of his life. Clay Thompson himself was saying that this game was pretty freaking close to the elation he felt when he won three NBA championships. And it just represented 
so many different things of, you know, the frustration of agony of being sidelined for 941 days and going through the rehab, the setbacks, the self-doubt, uh, the patience of having to go through that. And then just the ramp up and excitement uh, these this last uh, month or so where he was doing five on five and there was a giddiness of uh, getting back on the floor and an intrigue of what he's going to look like. And I think especially in these times, I mean, not to say that Clay Thompson returning is going to solve the world's woes, but in the NBA world specifically, where it's been a challenging season with teams navigating the protocols and having fluid rosters by the game and injuries, uh, you know, this was a feel good story, not just for the Warriors, but I think for any NBA fan. Um, so yeah, a lot of fun across the board. And then the performance itself was very entertaining. Yeah, it was entertaining. You know, and he had his uh, Florida Tropics look going. You know, he had that going too with the headband and the whole bit. And and um, you know, it, uh, it 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 reminded me though that that uh, what the Warriors had at one point was really special. You know, having those three guys, Draymond, Steph, and Clay, all on the floor and and watching them work together. And we didn't see Draymond in, in that game, but it just it's it, it's interesting to see them at this point of their lives. Now they're older. Two of them have families. Uh, I just get the sense that even with Clay going through what he did, that he really appreciates the game more than maybe he did before. You know, it was taken away from him for a couple of years, and I think he really appreciates, you know, the fact that he gets to do this for a living. Yeah, without a doubt. And it's just really crazy how Clay is able to represent, like, the, the, the nostalgia and the past of the Warriors, but he's also tying it together for the future. So, you know, you have those flashback moments of Clay Thompson finally reuniting with Steph Curry. I mean, ideally – for the Warriors, he would have been able to have the same thing with Draymond Green. But the fact that, you know, Draymond was at least willing to be a part of the starting line of intros and was willing to take a st- bad statistical box score performance just for the sake of being in the game uh, before having to leave because of his injury spoke volumes of not only how Draymond is as a team player, but his affection for Clay Thompson. But, you know, the reality is there's kind of this whole unknown where he has a lot of new teammates to get used to. And, uh, you know, they're trying to see if the Warriors of the past can really be the Warriors of the future with being a championship contender. And, you know, I think because of the Warriors' strong start this season without Klay Thompson, the fact that I think rustiness aside, Klay was pretty much checking all the boxes on things you're looking for, uh, I would pick them as the favorites to win, but I think you know the the intriguing thing is unlike some of those other championship seasons where sometimes it felt from the outside it's almost inevitable the Warriors are going to win because they have all those star players plus Kevin Durant. Here, there's a little bit more of an unknown of they know that they have the potential to reach that promised land, but there's a lot of other good contending teams, and there's also some question marks that the Warriors have to answer to get through this journey. I was talking with Tom Tolbert on the radio side and, and, and after the game, and I, I believe this. I, I think that especially if in a couple of weeks and Clay's minutes are up, maybe he's up to maybe 25 minutes, and and uh, if he starts cooking a little bit and they start you know getting in sync with his teammates and with playing again you know, with Steph and Draymond, 
I think that could cause a chain reaction. What do you What do you think? Like, because I think that's going other teams are going to look at their roster and say, "Okay, we've got to add something. We've got to we've got to get deeper or better at this if we have a chance of beating them or having a chance to you know be, being in that elite status." A hundred percent. And look, before the uh, trade deadline in February, you know teams are going to try to add players, but I don't think that there's going to be any teams that are making a move the, the equivalent of what the Warriors did where they added Clay Thompson to the roster. And this didn't involve making a deal. This is just finally having a healthy all-star caliber player. And I think for the short term, you know, the Warriors are anticipating there's going to be hiccups. He still has to get his rhythm and timing down. I think if you're, you know, looking as early as the next game against the Memphis Grizzlies, I wouldn't be surprised if Clay Thompson takes a step back, uh, not just because the Grizzlies are really good and John Morant's a handful. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, after that first game where, you know, you have that adrenaline rush and excitement, all of a sudden your body starts catching up to you. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if he's not having the greatest performance against the Grizzlies. But I think when you're charting out maybe five, ten game increments, his conditioning is going to get a lot sharper. His rhythm's going to be better. And I think defensively, he's going to be on point. But the encouraging thing right now for Clay is from what I saw defensively, even if he was a step or two behind, he has such sharp team uh, defensive instincts and he has really good effort that he's still going to be a solid defensive player. And then on the offensive side of the coin, you know, really the only issues I saw from him offensively is hey, the rhythm of his shots weren't the best, but that's going to go away, and it's now just going to be muscle memory. The fact that he was able to throw down a dunk and attack the basket makes me think that he'll be able to do that in future games to come as well. When you were writing your article about how Clay got through the 941 days, what what sense did you get from some of, the, some of his teammates about Clay and what he means to the squad? Well, there's no doubt that uh, – they he means a lot to them just from his talent level uh the fact that he's such a team oriented guy and i think there was just a, a good amount of empathy uh for all the hardships he went through because he represents what is all well in sports where not only is he really skillful but he knows how to fit within a team he's low maintenance and so i think when you're looking at these two and a half years there was a lot of blend of you know, varying degrees of frustration, uh, examples of Clay showing his resiliency, and then Clay just still offering those moments of levity and unintentional comedy uh, that made them realize, you know what, it's still nice to at least have Clay back. And so, you know, obviously how that fit in two and a half years, there were stages of that. Um, But I think, you know, through all the ups and downs, what the Warriors were were always encouraged with is that Clay, for the most part, was always putting his best foot forward. And even when those down moments came at a game or a setback with his rehab, uh, the very next day he would get back right up and at it. So uh, I think that was the encouraging thing. And, you know, frankly, Tim, you know, Clay covering his career with the Warriors and, and I do covering him for a few seasons. I don't think any of these things surprise us per se, but I think because of all the unique circumstances, it just exposed another layer of what makes Clay the special person and player that he is. Yeah, he just brings a certain amount of uh, of uh, 
togetherness and, and laughter to the to the affair and and free spirit and just you know uh, that that just adds to their their vibe if you will. Uh, let, let's 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 take it in a different direction here for a moment because I want to get your take on a couple of things. I, I know Kyrie Irving's back with Brooklyn and it's, it's good to see him back. It's good for the NBA to have him back. He's a very talented player, but I just can't wrap my head around the situation. That, that what do they do when the playoffs come? You know what happens then? And when you know if you say you have you know they're going to have home court for at least a while, right? If not the entire you know Eastern Conference, what do you do if you're you're star point guard can't play at home a hundred percent and say look i think the warriors will make the nba finals if they face the brooklyn nets he won't be available for any of those games because you know there's uh similar requirements in san francisco for people to be vaccinated at, at large indoor events and look you know this is a whole other discussion in regards to the safety concerns but number one but if you're looking at it just from you know, the basketball lens and team availability. Uh, I just, it never sat with me well that uh, he wasn't doing what was needed to be available for his team. And I thought that the Nets did the right thing initially in drawing a line in the sand saying, hey, look, we're not going to do this one uh, foot in, one foot out. You're either in or you're out. And they backpedal a little bit. And look, I know that there are some practical concerns with you know because of the protocols and that decimated their roster that it's better to at least have another player available let alone someone of Kyrie Irving's stature but um, as much as it's better to have them for at least half the games than zero I think it creates a lot of logistical complications for or for figuring out team chemistry and dynamics and I think it also just sends the wrong message to the rest of the team that Kyrie can operate uh, by a different set of rules just because of who he is. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's good for the NBA to have him there, but I also don't think it's good for the NBA with uh, just kind of the rules that are set in place for him. So Kawhi's out there. He, they, you know, he's he's up he's up front with his beliefs, and and you know what, he's got a right to have those and and everything else. But I think on the other hand, uh, the CIA is studying the tactics of Kawhi Leonard on how he keeps all of his recovery a secret. <laughs> so yeah, so, so when, without a doubt, yeah. So what, when the, do you get any sense? And I know you're you're down south now again. You were up north with us for a while, but you're down south now again, and and. Uh, do you get any sense from from the Clippers as to maybe is there a, a ballpark that that he could play this year? Well, uh, they haven't really offered much clarity, but you know I do trust Chris Sands from Yahoo Sports his recent reporting and saying that you know there is optimism that Kawhi will come back this season and that he's considered ahead of schedule with his rehab. But the Clippers have not offered any specifics since that report came out, and they haven't really offered any specifics at all this season. You know, when I talked with Clippers owner Steve Ballmer before the season started, he was, you know, promoting the Intuit Dome and kind of the unveiling of the beginning of construction there for the new arena that's slated uh, to be open in a few years. So, you know, I asked him uh, about Kawhi and his recovery. And at that point in time, you know, he didn't leave the window shut uh, for Kawhi to return at this season. But, you know, he's really stressed that, you know, this is something that, is that Kawhi will have to work with the training staff and that they don't want to rush anything. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't only because 
the Clippers and Kawhi, both individually and uh, collaboratively, have really <clears throat> taken the philosophy of it's better to be careful with his injuries than rush him back. So um, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that's a, that's, and we see it with with Clay Thompson too. If you if you you know you don't want to rush anybody back in these situations, me you know, take your time and because not only it's not only his career, it's also their post career. You know, uh, you know, because if you look at NBA players twenty years after their career, there's a lot of guys limping around because it takes a big strain on your body. So enough of that, though. I wanted to talk about a couple of teams that I that have kind of perked my interest. And in, in, but first of all, what what teams are that you are really intrigued by that you maybe dial by on League Pass and take a look at every night, or or teams you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, well, you know, it's inevitable. I've been watching a lot of Laker and Clipper games because I live in LA. But um, I've really been intrigued beyond those two teams and the Warriors. Uh, you know, obviously, which we know well. Uh, it's been fun watching the Charlotte Hornets play, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Phoenix Suns. You know, I think that they, you know, operate on different ends of the spectrum here where I think the Suns were expected to be good because they came off of the finals last year. But I think that there was some intrigue of, you know, how much can they build off of this, especially when they entered the season, you know, dealing with some, you know, adversity with, uh, you know, some of it self-inflicted where they didn't agree to giving DeAndre Ayton a uh, max uh, extension and, you know, the allegations that came out against uh, owner Robert Sarver, those were things that could have affected locker room dynamics, but they didn't. And they've been hitting on all cylinders here where, you know, Chris Paul's still playing this prime. Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden have continued to get better as young players. They have, uh, you know, kind of a pseudo strength in numbers as the Warriors have in their championship title seasons. And, you know, they also added a good backup in JaVale McGee at, at the center spot. And the Warriors know how much valuable he was during their their title runs to, with offering front court reinforcement. Uh, so they've been fun to watch. Um, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies, I think, are showing that they're the real deal. I think that they can even win a playoff series. It's not just a matter of, oh, they're exciting to watch to get to the playing tournament and that's it or losing the first round. They are a team to be reckoned with with John Moran and the collection of other young talent around them. And then I think with the Charlotte Hornets, with LaMelo Ball, um, he's shown that, you know, his rookie of the year season wasn't a fluke. Uh, ironically enough, you know, his game is more substance than hype, even though, uh, you know, he entered the league with, uh, you know, being in the shadow with uh, his outspoken and market savvy father. Um, there's a feeling when he talks to the Hornets organization that LaMelo Ball like, represents, yeah, re- represents the right things. Like they think that LaMelo, you know, can make the next step of not always trying to make the home run play and look at singles and doubles, but they do feel like his work habits and his uh, wanting to be coach is, is very old school and a pleasant surprise considering, you know, all the, uh, the extraneous things that the ball family's created. Yeah, it's it, it's it, one of the things. That's uh, the only problem with with drafting a guy like that. You get the dad, you know. I mean, uh, but anyway. So I digress. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the, one of the teams that I that's caught my eye was the team we saw the other night, and that's the Cleveland Cavaliers. I I think yeah. I think they're finding out a lot about their team this year, and I think you know I wouldn't be uh, surprised if they make a move or two in the off season that kind of solidifies their rotations because you know they. You know, with everybody going small, they're going big, and they got talented bigs. And I think, yeah, you know, Mo- when Mobley figures the game out, he's going to be something else. 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Cleveland. I should have brought them up. They played the Warriors uh, in Clay's return, and they're another team that's been intriguing. And look, I thought that they're going to be, you know, competing for ping pong balls again in the draft lottery, but they've really exceeded the expectations. But J.B. Bickerstaff's been a great coach. I think that they've also been able to to really figure out uh, their identity pretty early with sorting out team dynamics among the veterans and the young players. I think, you know, uh, it's something to be said for Kevin Love, for all the ups and downs he's gone through with the Cavs, some self-inflicted, some just kind of by design with, you know, after being part of a championship run, for him to be willing to take that back seat as a reserve to make way for someone like Evan Mobley uh, has done wonders. But I think at the same time, Mobley has shown that he deserves that role and is all about the right things, especially as a rookie uh, big guy. Uh, when you talk to people in the Cavs organization, they feel like he is a guy that just wants to work, work, work. And he's not you know, phased by the pressure. He loves competition. He loves getting feedback. And, you know, there's been some kind of, uh, player comp evaluations to Anthony Davis. And I think that those comps are actually real. And the scary part about this is, you know, you never know, right, for anything. But it doesn't look like he's going to have those kind of injury concerns that Anthony Davis has had throughout his career. So, you know, I think it's certainly in the cards to live up to that. And uh, I, if he does, it, he would surpass it because I think that he'll have a much healthier, healthier career than AD has had so far. Um, and then you look at, you know, the fact that they've had a rookie Rubio. They just added Rajon Rondo. Uh, you know, those are good veterans to have um, in a locker room. And, you know, R- Rubio is not able to offer that uh, since his injury, but um, he's been helpful before that. And I know with Rondo, even though his game, sometimes he's being playoff Rondo, sometimes he's been a liability on the court. I, I know from him being on the Lakers, uh, in recent years, they really feel like he was very helpful behind the scenes with mentoring young guys and keeping some of the established players in check uh, because of his strong basketball IQ and his uh, uh, his willingness to uh, you know confront people. You know, Kevin Love just has all all my respect. You know, the the fact that he came out and said, "Hey, you know what? Mentally, I need I need some help now." And then that it takes a takes a, a big guy to do that, and I mean big in terms of heart and and courage. And so uh, the fact that he's now said, yeah, sure, I'll come off the bench, that that just shows you what kind of guy he is, you know? It's, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And, he look, he, he is self-admittedly has gone through struggles, not just in that space, but just from basketball in general. And I know last season he had some tough moments. You know, uh, the most particular the, – the most appointing example was the game, I believe, against Toronto where he was frustrated on a play and he lazily inbounded the pass. You know, I talked with him, you know, not shortly afterwards and he owned up to that mistake and he talked to players in the locker room right after that happened. And so I think that he has a really good self-awareness in owning up to his weaknesses and trying to turn that into a positive. So, you know, spinning it forward with this season, I think that he has also shown that whatever competitive pride he's had to swallow with taking a reduced role, uh, he knows uh, there is a greater good, and he wants to be part of that solution instead of a problem. Finally, uh, before I let you go, and I've, I've kept you longer than I than I should, but I always like talking ball with you. Um, always, yep. Uh, the t- tell me you're you're close down there. What what do you see with the Lakers? 
man, they are one roller coaster, right? And sometimes it's fun to watch. Sometimes it's aggravating. I've had this rule of thumb uh, that I think a lot of people have that you don't bet against LeBron James. He's had the championships and finals to prove it. But I think that there are so many question marks regarding Anthony Davis's health, whether Russell Westbrook can, you know, still, uh, you know, play his game without being a liability with the turnovers, the defense, the missed shots, and just all the the roster fits with the role players and their health. I think it's too many things to navigate. So while I think that they'll be a better team that they were at the beginning of the season, because there won't be as many health issues and Russ, you know, will continue to have more games under his belt. I think it's too much of a challenge. And so I don't think that they're going to go anywhere past the second round, if that, um, because I think when you're looking at the West, the Warriors, the Suns, the Jazz, they just have a lot more uh, continuity and a lot better overall talent than the Lakers do. So yeah, I think it'll be tough sledding, and they could certainly reel off a few wins here or there. But at the end of the day, I think their ceiling is a second-round appearance, and that's it. Mark Medina, NBA.com. you have anything in the uh, works that we should keep our eyes out for? Yeah, well, I did some Clay stories this week, obviously, with him coming back. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be back in the Bay uh, at the end of the month doing some Warrior things. But in the meantime, you know, I, I always try to uh, connect at Laker Clipper games for writing about those teams, but also the visiting teams coming in. So I'll be at Clippers Nugget Tuesday trying to see what's going on there. Um, and then, you know, I, I do a, a weekly mailbag every week uh, and, you know, ongoing features throughout the week as well. So it, it's something that, you know, I always try to have things in the pipeline. So stay tuned. Send your questions there to NBA.com to Mark Medina. He'll answer them for you. Uh, always a pleasure, my friend, and, and uh, my best to you and yours. Stay healthy and, and uh, as I like to say, stay negative and, uh, and hopefully <laughs> – Hopefully when you're in town at the end of the month, we'll get a chance to chat. Yeah, knock on wood for everything here, but right back at you. Love to talk in hoops with you once again, and it's always a pleasure, honor, and wish you and yours well and, and continuing to stay negative and, and navigating these unique times while enjoying basketball. So go to NBA.com, find Mark Medina's byline, and you can fire him a question there or read some of his work on Clay Thompson and the NBA. Well, it's 75 years, 75 stars on Warriors Radio this year as we salute 75 years of Golden State Warriors basketball. And this week, I thought no better than the guy we just honored at Chase Center on the Clay Day game, and that's the incomparable Nate Thurmond, one of the most gracious men that I ever met. And quite simply, he's in the top five of most underrated players of all time. I don't think people really understand how good he is. And when you talk about great big men, you hear the, you know, Shaq and Wilt and and Kareem. And granted, those are all in that discussion. But Nate Thurman's right there. He's right there with them. And when you look at the numbers, and we'll recite some of the numbers on this feature, you'll get to understand why I say this. And his teammates have said this for decades, that Nate Thurman was one of the best players ever in NBA history. So let's take a look back. 75 years, 75 stars, Nate Thurman. It's time for 75 years, 75 stars, as we celebrate 75 years of Warriors basketball in the NBA. 
Tonight we look at a man who epitomizes the word warrior. Nate Thurman was selected by the San Francisco Warriors out of Bowling Green with the third overall pick of the 1963 NBA draft. His presence on the floor was immediately felt on the defensive end as he outlined his mission statement on being an NBA center. First of all, I felt that that whole territory was mine. I felt that not only did I have to try and stop my man from scoring, it was my job to pick up any man who came into that area. Um, I feel that if you are a center, it's your job to hold that area and to rebound. In 63-64, Alex Hannum was the new head coach of the Warriors. Center Wilt Chamberlain was the league MVP and led the NBA in scoring for the fifth straight season. The Warriors reached the playoffs for the first time since moving west. Nate Thurman was selected to the all-rookie NBA team. In the NBA Finals, the Warriors met the great Boston Celtics. It was another great Bill russell Will Chamberlain playoff duel. Paddles holds it up. With Wilt at 7-1, Thurman at 6-11, and Hightower at 6-9, San Francisco can be tough under the boards. Their big men make a real battle of it for that rebound. Thurman finally scores for the Warriors. San Francisco would lose to Boston in that final, but the career of the man nicknamed Chairman of the Boards was underway. He became the Warriors' franchise leader in rebounds, over 12,000 of them. He's also the franchise leader in minutes played. In 10 straight years with the Warriors, he averaged a double-double, including two seasons in which he averaged over 20 rebounds a game. Thurman's teammate in those early years was forward Tom Macheri. Nate Thurman is the most underrated center that ever played in the, in the NBA, by far. Uh, and I mean by far. There, he could be, in my mind, as he was every bit as good as, I mean, aside from Russell, Chamberlain, and Jabbar, Thurman was the next best center in the, in the NBA, that ever, whoever played. And he would outthink you. He would outthink his opposing centers. He was so good at that. The NBA's all-time leading scorer, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, has always said that the player who gave him the most trouble was Nate Thurman. During Kareem's rookie year, Nate took a $20 flight to Los Angeles, and it set the tone for their future battles. You know, I had seen him play a couple times in college. I knew that he was going to be a formidable force for me as a defensive player uh, for the next 10 years. As the schedule would have it, he was playing against Wilt down in L.A. his rookie year before he was coming up to play uh, Golden State. I jumped on the flight and uh, went down, didn't tell anybody I was going, bought a ticket. Wasn't a great seat. It wasn't a great seat. But I was able to watch Kareem in person for the first time and see what he did or didn't do against Wilt. I watched the game until maybe five minutes to go, jumped out, and went, got a cab and went back to the airport, came back home. That night it was like I couldn't sleep. I'd wake up and I'd think, oh, well, you know, maybe Wilt had did this. Or Finally fell off to sleep, and that next night I get in the locker room, and it was almost like I'm replaying what I thought that should have happened. I was able to overplay him so much on his hook shot that it was almost like, wow, I don't think I can turn on this guy. I mean, I'm almost, I'm almost reading his thoughts. And it worked. It was like that game helped me for the next 10 years. It was almost like he, he had respect for me. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And 
that helps you. I mean, it's all about it's, it's, it's physical, but it's mental games that are going out on that court, too. I won that first mental battle, and that helped. Yeah. It only cost me 20 bucks. Nate is one of four players to average at least 20 points and 20 rebounds in a season. He holds the Warriors' West Coast record of grabbing 42 rebounds in a game and the NBA record for rebounds in a quarter with 18. A seven-time All-Star, five-time defensive team player, he made the 50th anniversary team and the 75th anniversary team. His impact was felt on the two other franchises that he played for, the Chicago Bulls and the Cleveland Cavaliers. One of his teammates in Cleveland was Austin Carr. Well, Nate was the one that really turned us around. Uh, In my fourth year in the league, third year in the league, Nate came in and he really uh, showed us how to be professionals and how to win. And it had almost, we almost pulled it off. Jim Jones hurt his foot. Other than that, I think we'd had a chance to win a championship. Nate is one of 13 players who have had their numbers retired by more than one team. For his NBA career, he averaged 15 points and 15 rebounds a contest. As a San Francisco and Golden State Warrior, Nate averaged 17 points and just shy of 17 rebounds a game. And his career in the Bay would span 1963 through 1974. And throughout his NBA career, Nate Thurman would play with a great ferocity on the floor, but display grace and class off the floor. 75 years, 75 stars. The one and the only... Nate Thurman. This has been 75 Years, 75 Stars. Thank you for checking out the Warriors podcast. And if you've missed earlier episodes, you can grab them at warriors.com or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. I'm Tim Roy, thanking James Kincaid, R.C. Davis, the grand poobah of all things audio. We thank him for his cooperation as well. We'll see you next time right here on the Warriors podcast.